Gilbo, how's it going, indie wrestling fans? Welcome to Indie Handshake. I am your host, Jesus Cruz, and today my guest is the other half of the Iron Saints, Sal Tomaselli. Sal, how you doing, brother? Got to rip off the mic, Modest. Doing great, man. How are you doing? Good, brother. I, I, I think the last time I saw you was uh, after you guys left uh, Pro Wrestling Iron. 2004? Yeah, 2004, 2005, yeah. Was it the weekend that Masao and Ogawa came in? No, it was uh, their dojo show. It was like the very last dojo show uh, in the, you know, in the garage. Uh, but we, we can talk about that later. Okay. We'll get into that okay. story. Um, so I remember meeting you for the first time at an SPW show. You know, Big Ugly let us go and, and film some of the matches for our TV show. And at that time, I brought in a luchador. And his name was Roquero del Diablo. And uh, he had never worked in the States before. So I brought him to SPW and asked Gabe if he could work the card. And he goes, yeah, sure. And you were his opponent. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I, I honestly had not thought of that match until you just said it. Yeah. But that was like, first of all, I was thinking like, why me? Like, I'm not understanding. Like, I mean, I get it. Like of the, of the students at that point, I guess I had a little bit more promise than, than most. But I'm still green as fuck. Like, why would you pick me to go and have a match with a guy that I can't communicate with? Yeah. So that even though there's an interpreter, but like on the fly, I got three seconds to say something. And yeah. I just thought that was odd pick. I would have picked Flacco myself, you know. But I remember afterwards, I was like, you know what? That wasn't bad. Yeah. And just considering that I got maybe three months in the business at this point. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. it's not like, it's not like I, I have a whole lot of season, you know. Yeah. So I thought that was odd and we did okay considering that, you know, but yeah, I ended up I refing that match and I don't ref. So I was in the same boat. But, like you were going to translate, right? You yeah. know what I mean? It was like, that was, but again, and like, I can't like go by the apron or, or have him in the corner and then be talking to you and him this entire time. At least I wasn't good enough to pull that off at that point. So again, I wouldn't have picked me, but Hey. And what was funny is black metal was at that show. Uh, black metal does speak Spanish and he does work. Yeah. Just, so it was weird. Yeah. <laughs> that's that was kind of spw a lot of those times you know it's like where you just the, the answers are right in front of you so let's just separate them yeah so, so let's start off with a generic question how you got uh, interested in wrestling and then how did you discover indie wrestling so i got interested in it because i was just kind of a smaller kid growing up and we i grew up in like west Howell park area uh we bounced around quite a bit but west Howell park and north highland were like the two main areas that I grew up in <clears throat> and I'm the weird kid immigrant parents you know weird house weird clothes weird food so it wasn't there's a whole lot of material to pick on me and I got my ass handed to me quite a bit and that was you know maybe like five and that was when Piper was turned babyface. and I noticed that because we always watch wrestling at my house and I noticed that Piper's smaller than everybody else but he never stops talking shit no matter what mm -hmm. and that kind of became like my whatever little 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 bit of fight back I had because it's not like I could you know handle myself or anything like that so I could at least insult your mom as you as I'm on the ground and you're kicking me and everything yeah so Piper I just gravitated to and it kind of became this weird thing in the back of your mind that yeah wouldn't that be great if one day you know that would be kind of so then it's probably it's 2000 2000 so I graduated in high school that year and I'm working in the gym and a friend of mine we both like wrestling. We watch Raw and he, he works out there and everything. And turns out that his ex-girlfriend's cousins, roommates, gardeners, uncles, friend is a wrestler at SPW. And I'm like, oh, 
wait, what? There's there's like there's other wrestling than WWE and WCW. I didn't even know about ECW, much less the Indies. Like I was so naive to all of it. Mm-hmm. That we went to a show at Colonial. I was just transfixed, just looking at that ring. I remember it was a cage match where where Ugly beat the shit out of Brian Raymond. Pulled up Brian Raymond, took like 20 kendo sh- shots, whatever it was. And I'm just like, I need to be here. I need to be here today. I need to figure out what's going on. And that that was my first inkling of there is an actual independent. Like, okay, so that's where you start if you want to be a wrestler. Mm-hmm. And it was just from that point on, I was 18. And from that point on, like everything in my focus shifted. And now it became, it went from a fantasy to this is like actually possible. So. And how was your training at SPW and how did, what was the shock of going from fan to worker? Like what, what were you like? Oh shit. Like I had no idea it was like this. I knew it was not going to feel good. Like you could tell that it wasn't like necessarily like the trampoline or anything like that. Um, I don't think I expected it to hurt as much, especially hitting the ropes that I remember that was probably like from a, from the first day, like, Whoa, so when I hit the ropes and I just like almost lacerated my liver, I'm just like, what the fuck was that? I didn't, it didn't look as difficult. Um, so I guess that could be the only shock. I know the, the one thing I remember a guy named Clint Douglas told me, he said, once you learn the tricks, you'll never see it the same again. You'll never be able to watch it like that as a fan again. Mm-hmm. And he was right. And I'm not like begrudge, I'm not regretting or anything like that, but he was right. Once you start to get on the inside of it, it's like, once you start making movies, do you really enjoy movies as much? Or do you look at it as first act, second act, third act? How would I have wrapped that scene up? How would I have shot this? All of a sudden your, your thought process changes. So I never did get to watch wrestling like I did before. I, I think I enjoy it more now. That might be the only shock, but from a physical standpoint, it was it was hitting the ropes. That shit hurt a lot more than I than I ever expected it would have. And how how far how long did you train until you had your first match? And how was your first match? Oh, I trained for maybe two weeks, three weeks, something like that. <clears throat> there was a SPW wasn't. I equate it to like Pop Warner football. Like I I was on the Pee Wee midgets, junior midgets, whatever whatever the little brackets are. I was on a Pee Wee football team. It's an it's a foot in the door where you're gonna get basics. You're gonna get your understanding. You know, um, ugly, big ugly was the trainer, <clears throat> and he took a different approach. Um, I, I think he trained with APW for a while, then he went to NAW with Brian Ward. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, and got trained there, and then kind of did his own thing where we would do the cardio and the bump drill, pretty much like APW and later on Pro Wrestling Iron. But then he would watch Terrymont. He would watch something from Japan. He would watch something from AAA. And while we learned the basics, arm bars and all this stuff, he never put the focus, the razor focus that, that I was later going to get. And it was more excitement. Like I, sh- I did shit off the top rope my second day at SPW, right? So it was a very exciting thing. And for me, I remember the first practice was Ugly, Flacco, um, Cliff Douglas, who is Hunt Golden, Joe Gomes, who is Kryptonite, Tommy Tsunami, Dangerous Dylan's, quite a few of us. And Ugly said, hit a front deal bump. And I just, on my first try, like just dead on. Even I was like laying there shocked. Like I didn't think, and everybody like shit on it. No, 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 get up. Bullshit. I don't buy that. Do it again. And I think I did it like seven or eight times in a row and just hit it dead on every time. And just for some reason or another, it, it clicked with me. And so because of that, and because some other guy said no to a gimmick, I was on shows within three weeks, something like that. 
And speaking of gimmick, what was your first gimmick there? It was the Sacramento Dragon. That was the, uh, um, I got to a show, I was refereeing at the point. So I, there was, I'm again, three weeks in. There was, I don't think there was an intention of me working that quickly. And I'm supposed to be a ref. So I guess somebody didn't show up and Flacco gave me this, the meal mascara shark mask. I, I mean, like, could you give me something unrecognizable that you have to go with the most blatant ripoff that you possibly do, right? And then um, Hanson Jack Dalton gave me a, my, a singlet and my my name was Sacramento Dragon just because it said it. on It was already printed on there. And Gabe goes, okay, we're going to call you Sac Dragon. I said, dude, why? I, mean, I get that it's on here, but can I just turn this inside out? And he goes, no. I'm like, <laughs> like really? I can't. He's like, it doesn't matter. I just need to cover your face. And so it was only a spot for one night. Yeah. But we did the the idea was that uh, come out with a different entrance music of some WWE guy or a WCW guy, do their finish, get my ass kicked, and go out. That was supposed to be a funny joke for one guy on one night, and that guy didn't want to do it. Ugly still wanted to do it. I'm going to do it tonight, and then and it stuck. It was never intended to be anything more than that, and so it just it just fucking took on a life of its own. So. I do remember you doing a ultimate warrior gimmick with that. You had the little tassels and shit. Yeah. And you, you did the rope thing. Yeah. The funniest thing was like the amount of guys that would come up to me and say, I got the greatest idea for you. And they would, so many of those were not my idea. Just somebody else coming up. Like, I think it was one of the undertaker. It was CJ that said, Hey, come out. Razor scooters are real popular. Be the undertaker. Come out with a razor. scooter." Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't just, it wasn't, it was a lot of the other guys. And that to me was fun. It was a locker room joke. Really? They just ended up taking on. It just fans popped, you know. Now, when Flacco started, uh, he said that he worked. He first started working RPW shows, Revolutionary Pro Wrestling. Mm -hmm. uh, was that the case with you as well? That was my first full match because at, fir at the first maybe two or three shows, I would just do a run in, like as Austin uh, music would hit, I'd run in, catch the beers, whatever, stunner, no sell, kick my ass, shit, get me out. So the first actual match that I had was at RPW for, was it Dave Touchstone? Mm -hmm. I can't believe I remember that. <laughs> yeah, but it was me and Flacco. So that, that was my very first actual singles match. Um, he, he's leading the way. I don't know how much more experience he had me, than me at that time. So I'm sure we look back on it and it was atrocious. But at the time, I was like so geeked out that I get to work with Flacco, you know. It's a big night for me. I have those matches. I'll send them to you. Oh, please. Oh, I would love to see this. I just sent them to David Touchstone not too long ago. Talk to us about your most memorable moments at SPW. Um, so I, it was a fun time for me because I'm breaking in. It was, it was a really, that maybe my first year was a really exciting time for me. Uh, I'm learning a lot of new things, but then again, I'm, I'm, I'm treated with a lot of respect from the other guys. I think simply because of just my my work ethic or something. I always showed up early. I always showed up. I stayed late. Whereas other guys wouldn't. I mean, I never missed a ring crew. Like that was the big deal with the boys. Miss a practice, whatever. But if you, if you miss a ring crew day or if you show up late after ring crew, and I wasn't that way. So all the guys were eager to help me and work with me. But for me at that time, it was like I was Gabe's kind of pet project because he just I, everything clicked whatever he wanted me to do. It, it made sense for me. Um, but really, for me, it was with CJ. CJ Kerr's Dante at the time. Like, that was who I 100%, there was in my mind at that time, nobody above him. I just respected him as a person, as a worker, as a teacher. He was super patient. 
he always took a liking to me because he saw again that I just had that effort that I that I didn't have an ego about it that I didn't complain if I worked with him and he would just light you up which he would that I never bitched I never complained I thanked him afterwards you know and for me it was I can remember like a probably my favorite memory was the first time they did the X Division tournament and we were going to be in the main event as the finals and we were going to close the show and I get to be in there with CJ and we went like 25 or something like that. And he was happy with everything. And so for me to like, to kind of have that my rookie year and just as far as my own confidence to go in there and, and be in that match with a guy that I held that high in regard. So I worked with ugly a bunch of times and I liked ugly, you know, we got along, but everybody always thought that that was, I was CJ's boy because CJ and I really just connected big time and he helped me out a lot. So to have that match and to come back and him be all smiles was like, man, that was, I remember they, we, we ended so late that the building, the power shuts off at a certain point in certain parts of it. And I was in the upstairs locker room and I had to get dressed with just a flashlight, but you could not have taken the smile off my face that night because CJ was so pleased and so happy with it, that it was just total vindication for me. Yeah. That's awesome. And uh, how, what was the reason that you decided to go to pro wrestling iron and, and were you training at both places at the same time, or you were just kind yep. of switched to iron or were you? I was, no, I was, I was doing like when he came into iron, I think Vito was the only guy that was wrestling. Had He had been wrestling enough to where you didn't have to stop taking your bookings. Vito could continue all his bookings and then come in. Cause Vito was like a, like a student quasi instructor. You know, he might be, he might go through the drill with us. Like he might open the drill, whatever they're teaching and then he'll close the drill, but he never stood in line with us. He stood over by Rick or by Mike and, like he's helping critique and everything. So he was in a different, if in a different position. And even though I had way more wrestling experience than any other student there, I think I'd wrestled, I want to say when I started, like the, the guy that had the most matches out of the Iron APW crew would have been Tommy Drake and he may have had a dozen. Whereas I probably had like 50, 60 by that point. Yeah. So in ring, I was way ahead of everybody else, but I knew that I, I had to pay dues and just, I'll just go back to the beginning. I agreed to cut every booking with the exception of SPW. I said, I, I'm loyal to them. They're once a month. I want to do that. And then their practices didn't conflict. If they had conflicted, I would have taken iron as a priority. <clears throat> Excuse me. But to back up a bit, the reason I went there was ugly. Ugly told me that I didn't know. Again, I didn't know anything about, I was super naive. So I didn't know APW. I didn't know about Beyond the Mat. I didn't know who Mike and Donovan were. I, none of it. And ugly just came and said, I'd probably been with him about a year. And he goes, look, I've taught you everything I can. I think you really want to learn more. And I think these are the guys that can help you and they're doing an open trial. So that was the only, I, I went and when I did the tryout, it was in that, what was the street that that first school was on? That, on that karate street. dojo. What was it? It was on Mission Street or East 14th? Yeah, East 14th. There you go. Yeah, that, the minute I walked into that building, you remember, there was just a vibe. There was something in the atmosphere that, and they're already practicing and everything. And I'm just like, oh, this is what I'm missing. This is where I need to be. Yeah. And just doing the trial was just kind of, I was gauging them just as much as they were me because I, I wasn't breaking in. I already had plenty of experience. Yeah. And to the point where like, I think it was five grand at the time and Mike cut me a deal for free to join and then called me the next day and said he talked to Donovan and re remembered that they're trying to run a business and he needs to charge me something so they charged me 1500 bucks I was like, absolutely I was so hooked yeah. 
in that meeting going like, this is exactly where I need to be. This is the kind of training I need to do. You know, with SPW, no knock, I, I was doing moves off the top rope my second day. With Iron, I was doing uh, amateur wrestling for four months where they just zoned in on one type of, you know, one body part, one thing we're working on today. And it was such a different vibe that I was like, you know what, fuck it, whatever you guys need me to do, I need to be here. So will I drive from Sacramento to Hayward and back four days a week? Yes. Will I pay this amount? Yes. Will I get stretched by Rick and Vito? Yes. No problem. You know, I knew right away that that was what I was missing. I needed to be in an environment where, it wasn't a guy, bunch of guys playing wrestler or that loved it. These dudes were serious. These dudes were serious. And I needed to be in that environment. Yeah. And I didn't know you were part of the first uh, gym. I, I always thought you came in when they moved. Uh, but yeah, funny you mentioned about that building. Yeah, it does have some kind of magic. You know, there's there's a whole gym, you know, a, a weight room, right. and the boxing ring, and then the mats. It was really big. And before... Um, uh, I think in the sixties or late sixties, uh, the, that's where like the Ray Stevens and Pepper Gomez and all those wrestlers from that era, that's where they would go work out. It was called something else back then. Really? And then I ended up <clears throat> renting the spot and running gyms and training with Jason Styles there too. So it's like, there's very rich wrestling history in that, in that building. Oh yeah. And you could, you could almost feel it right when you walked in that there was just some kind of vibe some kind of something here and you walk in and you just smell blood, sweat and tears. Yeah. That was what reeked in the building. And it was like, oh. for me, it was, it was, I know that we'll get into it and everything that that was, that was the first step for me where I was like, yeah, we didn't make the right move here. You know, what would you say the major differences in the training were from, from a big ugly going up to like Rick Thompson? Well, it was super structured. Rick was super, super structured. And whereas ugly, and there's benefits and negatives to both. Like, I'm not, I don't think that one was, I'm very happy with the way it turned out, right? That I got the benefit of both. But when I, over the years, when people ask me who, who trained you guys, it was always Mike and Donna. It was, I never, you know, and it wasn't like Beto mentioned, I don't think the first guys that, that broke him in either. You mentioned the guys that had the most impact, right? So there was that definitive structure. So with ugly and everything, it was fun and you're going to get to learn spots and you're going to learn all this shit. But with Rick, dude, he just, we might do, we might do like a, a single leg pick or a snake bite. We might do that for a month until everybody got it right the way he wanted it done right. You know, we were just going to drill, 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 drill. They almost treated it like an MMA dojo where it was just come in, stretch, run your mile. We're going to cardio you now. Then you're going to do your bunk drills. And then today we're working on whatever it was, you know. And at that time, like Rick was, really i don't want i don't want to say strict he was real he expected a lot but he was fun he was jovial if you did something and it didn't work out halfway he'd always be like you know i i'll buy that but you got to throw something in for free you know that was rick's absolute catchphrase but when mike and donovan were there in between tours that's when it was a bitch because they would cardio the shit out of you you know, when, when they were in Japan, our cardio would be American style. So we might do a few hundred squats, a couple hundred push-ups, a few hundred sit-ups. You know, when those guys, remember when we did the first, not the show of the SATs, but the second show that, that we, when we worked the Ballers yeah. for you, remember when they just destroyed us that day? Yes. After ring crew, we fucking, I got to get up at three in the morning to get all the way from Sacramento to the Bay, to Hayward, to get the truck, to get to your show, set it up, right? Now we got a cardio to death. 
I think we did like 1500 squats that day, I did a thousand sit-ups, we did 10 minutes of wall sits, whatever it was, just to get you to puke. And then now I got to do a show. <laughs> and then ring crew all the way back. So when they were at practices, especially at the old dojo, we had a big funnel that got clipped to the top rope. And it went with a hose to a bucket that if you had to puke in mid-spot, you got to do that, then finish your spot, then go clean, take everything and clean it out. So the difference of these guys are no joke. And for me, it was like, well, right, because they're not, they're not, they're not doing this because they love it at this stage. This is their job. This is their career. And in order to do it, I got to treat it with that level of respect. Right. And to me, it was like, it was almost like going from high school to uh, a really, really top level collegiate experience. You know, that the polish was, you, you couldn't get that anywhere else. And that was really the difference that made Vito and I, the difference between us and everybody else that we went across for the rest of our careers. It was that foundation, that training. And when you first started working iron shows, you worked at Sacred Dragon, right? You went from Sacramento yeah. to Sacred Dragon. And then tell us, um, I already talked to Vito about this, but tell us about what your thoughts were when Modest presented you with the Iron Saints idea. Okay. Um, so Sacred Dragon, I think it was because I went and did a show in Florida. And I didn't want to be Sacramento Dragon because I'm like, who's going to know what that is all the way out in Florida? And I think it was Flacco's idea that said... Not so much because the sacred dragon sounded cool, but the way he said it in Spanish. He said it, it just really fits that way. Sagrado. Exactly. Yes. Oh, say that again. Dragon Sagrado. Dude, that just, I haven't heard that in like 18 years, you know. <laughs> but that was his, that was completely his. Um, and I wasn't exactly the biggest fan of that character or gimmick or anything, but I was, I was comfortable. I felt safe. So I wasn't really all that high on changing it at that point. Um, I remember it slightly differently than Vito does because I, like the distinction that he forgets, ultimately Vito and I became very equal, right? But at this point, he's way higher on a, than I am on the chain. So if, if he's gonna hear about a gimmick idea for him, for modest, I'm not gonna be in the room when that happens. He's gonna buzz Vito well before I get the, get the nod. So I heard about it on a phone call. Mike called me real early one morning and asked if I'd seen the movie Boondock Saints. And I'm like, yeah, I love that movie. It's absolutely great. He goes, I want to do a tag team gimmick like that. What do you think? I said, yes, great idea. Who are you going to have? And he goes, you and Vito. And I said, uh, wait, what? Yeah, because I want you to tag with Vito. I said, dude, I'm a singles wrestler. Like, I, like I'm not, I don't want to be a tag wrestler, like, at all. Like, not even a little bit. He goes, well, no, I want you to do this and everything. I said, wonderful. I, I'm, I don't want to do it. I, I'm not going to do that. I'll be anything else. If you want me to change my gimmick? I will, but I don't want to be in a tag team. And he goes, no, no, we're pretty sure that's what you're going to do. And we want you to team with Vito. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not bad actually. Cause we already clicked. Like he, I kind of came in with a little bit of heat because kryptonite and cliff came in with me and they, we all signed contracts. Like we're going to agree to pay this money. And they fucking bounced after two weeks. They couldn't take it. So at that point, Mike and Donovan just kind of went, ah, fuck them. This guy's going to go too. Mm. Well, I did the same thing that I did SPW. I showed up early. I stayed late. I tried my best. You know, that kind of... Vito respected my drive. And he could see that out of everybody here, everybody's hungry. He and I are at, on that level of, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm, we're, we're getting this shit done type mentality. So once he said Vito, I'm like, oh... Well, that's interesting. Okay, that's okay. 
I'm not opposed to that. I said, all right, that's cool. And Vito's okay with this? And he said, yeah, no, I already checked with Vito. I said, okay, well, okay, I, I changed my mind. That's not bad. I'll be, I'll, I'll be a tag team with Vito. And he goes, yeah, we're going to call you Sal Tomaselli. And then I flipped again. I said, no, now I'm against this. Like, no, I don't, I don't want his name. He's made a name for himself. I don't want his name. I want to make my name. Can't we be stepbrothers? Can't we be cousins? Can't we just be friends? Like, what does it have to? And he said, no. And I was like, Vito's okay with this? And in my mind, I'm thinking, like, I know he's got a brother. And I know that they envision being a tag team themselves their whole lives. So now all of a sudden, I'm, like, scooting in on this. And I'm getting all, whether people believe it or not, or whether Vito's cool with it or not, it's going to look like I'm ripping off his name. And I was so hot about that. And I and I went right back to being against it. And then the match with the SATs for you, that was actually, I think, our third match. Vito doesn't remember our first match was at SPW against Hook and somebody. I want to say Dante. And it was in that match that we walked to the back. And before we hit the curtain, we're both like, well, damn. I felt, you felt that? I felt that. Like, and it was just instant chemistry. The SAT match is what validated to anybody else, because Vito, no, nobody liked Vito from the S, from the SPW crew. Um, it just and it, but that was the one where we both came to the back and went, "What the fuck just happened?" Like I called three spots for you. Did you notice that? And he's like, "Yeah, I called yours too." I'm like, "Yeah." Like it wasn't so much that we planned it all on the fly. I called his next shit, and he called my next shit, and that was when I was just like, I wasn't even trying to do that one. You know, it was at that point that we just went okay, this clicks big time. And now we need to have a conversation or two or seven to see who's, how serious we both are. Cause now we're, we're going to do this. We're committed and we're kind of attached at the hip type thing. You know, tell us how the environment was at iron um, with your colleagues, with, you know, uh, uh, Apollo Khan, you know, uh, Jet Taylor. Uh, and then when Seth and Sarah came over from APW. Mm. Well, it was, I, it was Vito's right in the sense that there was, it was a definite difference. There, to me, it was tiered. There was, there was a few things that happened that kind of started the mm, tipping point. The first one was just changing that facility. Because now you're losing that, that building that for whatever reason has that vibe that everybody just kind of gets a little extra kick when you're there and you're really, it's kind of musky, it's a little dusty, but they're just, you know, greatness has come from here, that kind of feeling. So you're already losing that. But I know it was cheaper than the place that we ended up moving to. So now you've like doubled or tripled your bill. Yeah. Now the focus is no longer the style of wrestling. And because that's all Iron was going to be was a school. It was never intended to be a, a wrestling company where they're going to have shows. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden you got bills. And furthermore, the dumb mentality of, well, if I got bills, let's go out the door more often. Mm -hmm. And I guess what? Rack up more bills. Yeah. And then let's not do it in our base in Hayward. Let's drive 90 miles to Lathrop. Let's drive four hours to Ukiah. Yeah. Can't just do it right next door where we're building our fan base. So there, there was numerous business points like that that were that were bad. Um, but when I think Vito, his viewpoint on on the when the APW guys came in, like I know Dr Ryan Drago did it. He wasn't excited about going back to beginners. He wasn't excited that I was an instructor. That because even though I had more time in the business than him, he had been technically with. APW, PWI, that slash kind of gimmick. He'd been with them longer. But at the same time, he was just, we're both 19, you know, we're both super hungry. I thought both of them, especially Sarah, but I thought both of them were really, really driven. 
and really hungry and really wanted to, to advance and get better. So I didn't see that, but I also wasn't with the Apollo Veto hook, the initial crew. I came in a little bit later than that. Yeah. For me, from the standpoint of Vito, I could totally understand where he goes, okay, so there's no Rick. At that point, Modest moved five hours away, so we barely see Modest. Donovan and Frank are there, but we don't really like Frank's style. It's very M Memphis for, <laughs> if, you, if you took Jerry Lawler from 1970 to Pro Noah in 2002, like that's really what, you know, that's how Frank fit in. Donovan admittedly was just kind of drunk a lot of the time. So now Vito's looking at like, well, shit, here is this place where I, I was so excited to come to and there's so many knowledgeable people that I'm going to learn from to I'm the guy teaching the show. That's not what he signed up for, right? And I understood that because I'm teaching beginners class and eventually when things aren't going that well or not too long from when we're going to leave, I'm also teaching semi-pro class, but at the same time, I'm paying monthly dues. I'm paying them to teach their students, you know? So I could get his mentality that that part was hard. For me, that was the funnest time in pro wrestling art. That was by far for me the funnest time because the way Vito ran the school, he structured it, it almost like a mix of, of what Rick would do and, and kind of what Ugly did or how he would do it. Where we would cardio and stretch and cardio and drill and do all that stuff. But instead of zoning in and focusing on armbar today, like we would do, for example, we would do, we're all going to line up and there'd be like seven of us. Lock up, Jesus and Sal lock up, Jesus take the, take the head, one tackle, take it again, tackle drop and take it again, tackle drop and leap front, take it again. I'll switch it to you. I'll tag out. Now you're on the defense. And we need to go through that entire line twice. Well, shit, that might take six weeks without, without having a flub, you know? So that was fun. But then we would end every night with a 45-minute eight-man tag. And it would just go until Vito would say, all right, take it home. But he would just call, nope, that's the third double down. Nope, that's the fourth double down. And for me, it was like, dude, we were cutting our teeth. We were having fun. It was super competitive, but nobody hated one another, you know. So I, I get from his perspective why it wasn't that fulfilling because he's the guy now teaching everybody else. But from the standpoint of those being taught, that, that year where he was really kind of doing all that was by far the best year for me, at least. <clears throat> I enjoyed that part the most. Tell us what your takeaway was um, when you worked um, Crash Holly. Oh, man, that dude, that dude, super, super nice guy. I would have expected him to big time us, didn't at all, you know. Um, a, a lot of what Vito said, just a super nice guy and hanging out with him and just getting the bullshit and that kind of thing. But for me, I, I, I in particular remember that the first night we're going to work with them and we're going to put them over. And so, Crash said, okay, you guys, uh, just do me a favor and listen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to teach you guys everything tonight. So he put the whole mess together. Uh, not every single move, but structurally and do something like this and be here at this point and make sure your ring positioning is here. And then we did, we did the match. I remember, I believe he hit me with the finish, but then rolled out and had Hook make the cover to give Hook the rub. I thought that was cool. He, you know, that might not seem like a big deal. Mm -hmm. The next night, we're going to win him back. And he says to us, he goes, you guys go put it together and then come pitch it to me. And of course, we're like intimidated as, as fuck about that. But then when I say you guys, like we put it together, it was Vito and me just kind of going, yeah, that sounds good. Or I might throw in a thing or two, but I'm still really green at this point. So whatever we formulate a match, we go pitch it back. He listens to the whole thing and, and cuts a couple things out, explains why. 
and then really about the finer details you know remember one point in the go home he says shit can me but throw me through the rope so that when there's a cover i can come back in and make the save then throw me over the top of the rope so that kind of signifies to the fans that i'm not able to come back in so that hook can kick out and get a nice read. just those little bit of things you know that little bit of detail i thought was cool but the thing i'll never forget man and it was something that from that day forward i tried my best to carry it with me the entire time that i was in wrestling i was telling him after the show i said man i just i can't thank you enough like that was just so nice and how he stood with us for an hour after each night and discussed whatever it was um and you're just so cool i, I what like what can i do man what there's got to be something what can i do to repay you what can i do to thank you and he explained to me he said sal this is a strange business he said nobody owes or he said the business doesn't owe anybody anything but if you have any level of success large or small you owe the business to teach the next generation so that it can continue so if you want to pay me back take care of the next guy and I was kind of like, I'm still floored about that to this day. I just go like, wow, that's the way it should be. Not these, I don't give a fuck about you and it's all, everybody, no, nobody cares about anybody's cutthroat and everything. Yeah, it's competitive, but that's the way it should be. That's a guy who is so confident in his own ability that he's just not threatened by anybody else. So why, you know, why would he care? And that to me was like, I took that with me forever. I just, every single time, if I could help somebody, I did it, you know, maybe for them, but really more just for Crash. Now, give me your uh, viewpoint on 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 uh, when you guys left. Like, how, how did you feel like that separation from Pro Wrestling Iron went down? It was real bittersweet. Um, I think I'll be flat out honest, like Vito was real nice about it because um, he and Donna were friends again. Uh, I don't know if he and Mike talk. I, I'm cool with both guys. I haven't talked to Mike probably in like since 2009 or 10 when I came to California and did a SPW booking and got Mike booked there so I could do a promo with him for something that we were planning on doing. Um, but really, I think like, I, I remember just being so let down, just so, I mean, almost like a parent would tell a child, I'm like, I'm just so disappointed because we gave so much and we believed so much anywhere we went, we waved the flag. Our entrance gear was their shirt. If we had, we were the chance most of the time. Whether we defended it or not on other shows, they came with us. We were there, other than the Mike and Mike's Donovan Bison, like that. We were the top act. We were the most consistent top act. We were the bookers. We were the trainers of the school. Like, we're fucking doing everything, man. We don't want this to fail. We want this to succeed. Yeah. And we fit here. Our style is this. We are progressing iron, right? There might have been guys that were there before us, but I don't think any students or anybody outside of Mike and Donovan were more linked to pro wrestling iron than Vito and I were. And we did not want to go. But at this point, you got Frank coming in, and I love Frank, but that's really when the Seagrams and the Crown was just everywhere. It was just prevalent. You know, his wife really making the scene uncomfortable for a lot of the students and wanting to do pecker checks and shit like that. And just to not, I mean, you look back on it at the time, and maybe it's funny, but I look back on it now and go, God damn, man, like, that that's just you know so the environment sucked it started to go downhill with frank coming in and being the main money guy i always got the vibe that he that he was in charge even though we all thought mike was in charge you know so something changed in there we didn't like doing the shows we didn't like going as far um 
but there it was more like, hey man, we came here to get trained. So Vito and I reached out to Mike and Donovan and just said, hey, like we want to have a powwow. We're not happy. And we're coming directly to you and saying we're not happy. And Mike no-showed. Granted, he lives six hours away. Fine. Donovan was there and we just told him everything. We said, we don't like any of this. We don't, you're not, you know, you guys are drinking too much, all this stuff. And he 100% admitted it and said, you're right. Give me time. So, okay. So give me six months. Okay. No problem. That was in October of 03, right? In March of 03, we go to work in Illinois for RCW, a company Vito started in, and we're going to double shot for Mid-South. So on that show, I remember watching JC Bailey and um, Spider Nate Webb, ridiculous match. I saw Delirious versus Seidel, Indiana State title. There was a, a girl match, five chicks with Daisy Mischief and three others. I can't remember, I'm sorry, but I was so blown away by that show that I remember telling Vito, this is where we gotta be now. Everybody here is better than us. We are not better than anybody here. And we need to be here against people that are way the fuck better than us or, what are we doing? We're just jerking off, you know? But we didn't get an invite back and we ended up going to Atlanta and everything. But it was it was the opportunity for that came the next month when we had the TNA match and it was Donovan that hooked it up. Donovan hooked it up and then got mad that we were going to leave. Dude, we told you we're not happy. We don't want to go. You hooked us up with an opportunity and they get mad that we took the opportunity. So that just kind of started to derail and it would We'd come to practice, but then like Vito would get X date out of booking meeting. Or we'd be in a booking meeting and they would just trash Vito. Never me. They were under the impression that it was Vito who changed my mind. And like as many times as I said to them, dude, he's not the one that wanted to go. I'm the one pestering him. We need to get out of here. We need to get out of here. We need to go to Chicago. He didn't want to go to Chicago. He didn't, that's back home for him. He wanted to go somewhere new. And I understood that. And we weren't wanted in Chicago at that point anyway. But it was really, it was like that last six, eight, maybe, yeah, eight weeks or so, something like that, that they just shit all over him. They just blatantly shit all over him. And I was so hot about it. But Vito, because you got to understand, we met when I was 19. So it's not like we've known each other our whole lives. But, but he's the only big brother i've ever known he's always taken care of me like a big brother his family's taken me in i his, his younger brother is my younger brother you know we were as as tight as could be at that point so if you said something to him, i'm ready to cut your throat like i'm i'm just coming forward and he was putting the brakes on saying just sal fuck it you know we're, we're gone soon and what was supposed to happen because i was in the booking at the time masao and ogawa coming in the friday night show was supposed to be me and Vito versus Masao and Ogawa to get a chance to go to Pro Wrestling Noah because we were supposed to go. We can, we had the meeting October of 03. We were supposed to go to Noah in January of 03. We were told to get our passports and then they sent Tommy Drake instead because Tommy had been with them longer. Well, Tommy went over there big time to everybody, completely fucked it up and they literally refused to take anybody from Pro Wrestling Noah again, even when we had a tryout with Harley Race five years later. They saw the iron logo and like, nope, and then walked off, even though we killed it, you know? So it was, it was, it was just so frustrating that when it came down to it, that then they changed the booking. Now I get the match with Masala and Ogawa on the second night and Vito's getting buried and we're putting over Ugly and Vinny who've never, never teamed before on the first night. 
fine, cool. I remember the only regret is that I had said, we got to give notice. We got to tell them because we're in this major spot. Mm-hmm. And Vito's like, are you sure? This is pro wrestling. Are you sure? I said, no, we got to do the right thing. We got to give notice. And Vito, to his credit, man, he's like, I'm against it, but whatever. I don't care. So we gave two months notice. All that got fucked up. And I'm like, why did we give notice? <laughs> we should have just done the match and then bounced, you know? But so it was bittersweet. I was, I, I was pissed about that for a really long time because they made it seem like it was us. And they completely dumped on us on the way out. For the finish of the match, Donovan did his little, his, he had a house show version where he would let you on your stomach and he had a TV version where he would pile drive. So I asked him, well, cause he's gonna do the finish on me. And I knew they were just gonna throw potatoes. And I took everything that they gave me. But I asked him, I said, house show or TV? He said, house show. So I'm just kicking up my feet like I'm gonna go onto my stomach. Well, he pile drove. And I heard my neck crack that night. So buddies or not, once you take liberties in my world, you're a piece of shit, man. And so if I saw him today, I'd be handshakes and, and smiles simply because Vito respects him. But as far as respect, man, no, sorry. Me and Mike are cool. Mike never took those kind of liberties, but I was just so, so let down that, that they allowed the company, they allowed the bottom of it to fall out. Yeah, that was very unfortunate, man, because we, we were all excited, you know. They paint this nice picture, and then at the end it didn't happen, which, you know, it sucks. But it happens, you know, it's pro wrestling, so you kind of move on and go exactly. on. Exactly. Speaking of moving on, uh, talk a little bit about – I wanted the focus to be mainly West Coast, NorCal, but do, do talk to us about your experiences outside of Iron, working for mm-hmm. Wildside, IWA, uh, Juggalo Championship Wrestling. So um, Wildside was okay. It was a chance to get – some tv exposure it was a chance to learn how to work with cameras and stuff you know but the two main reasons why we went there because we didn't really discuss too much of terms or anything we were more wanting to leave so we just needed a destination the the key to M, the tna was when, or i'm sorry wild side was when we went to tna bill Barron said you know we, we're not in a position to fly anybody but if you guys were here every week we'd use you every week I have my own company. If you want, come to Atlanta, work for me. I drive AJ and run the truth every week. You can just ride with us. Great. So we went there six weeks later, TNA moved out operations to Florida. Now Bill's getting a flight. Now we're not in the car. There goes that. But still it's the benefit of like, we never even really cut promos before we, before we got there and everything. So um, we really learned that it was again, strange. It was our first time to have to adapt because now we're like super strong style going into, you know, Memphis style. So we got to make an adjustment. That's when really when we started to learn how to adapt to other people and change our game. It's where Vito came up with the double stomp. It was at that show that we didn't even use it as a finish. We used it as a, as a false. And when we came to the back to the locker room, they were fucking nuts. Oh my God. What is that move? Oh my God. What is that move? And that's all, all Vito's credit. We were in the living room and Alpharetta when he said it. I'm like, somebody's going to die. He goes, no, I think I could do this. I think I could do this. I'm like, all right, well, don't practice it on me. You know, that's fine. So Atlanta was okay. The Tony Mamaluke portion was a, was a complete letdown. Um, <laughs> I, I debated whether I was going to even say this or not, but I, th- I, think I'm, I, I think I have to share it. So Tony's a strange guy. Nice guy. Um, 
and he had a back injury or something. He was returning to wrestling at that time, and we were going to go together. And the first time we met him, and he goes, yeah, I don't want to be Tony Mamluk anymore. I'm like, what? Your name is kind of the whole, I know Vito told you, but it's like, what's the point of that? (laughs) So we were against that. I think it was Anthony Legato or something like that. But okay, fine, whatever. We did one show. He disappears for three months. No phone calls, no nothing, doesn't respond to emails, nothing, right? (laughs) Out of the blue, we get a call. Hey, I'm so sorry, stuff, you know, whatever it is. Come over for dinner. Let's talk. Let's read. Let's get back on the same page. Okay, cool. Go to their house for dinner. It's at their house. Apollo calls me to let me know that Modest had retired. And even though on bad terms, this is maybe six months after the fact, I call, I went outside, I called Mike. We talked for 45 minutes, you know, just kind of thanking him for everything. Sorry for my parts and whatever I was wrong in, in however, you know, it went down and everything yeah. made peace. Went back inside. We had a nice dinner. He comes to one more, comes to the next show the next day or something like that. Disappears for three months. Doesn't return, respond calls. Doesn't return, nothing. So the third time he calls us, we're just kind of like, like, what do you want to do? He goes, well, fuck it, man. Let's just see what happens, you know? So, okay, fine. Come over to our place. We have this old chicken noodle soup uh, recipe that goes far back in Vito's family, his grandma's grandma or something like that. I mean, it's, it's the bomb. It's fantastic. We have them over. We have soup for dinner. We're talking about everything. We, we, we surmise that this is six or eight months before the ECW brand is going to launch because Tony keeps saying to us, he goes, you fellas serious? Huh? Huh? You serious? Yeah, we're serious. What are you talking about? You're the ones not showing up. Yeah, we're serious. He goes, six months, fellas, six months, six months. Like some mafia don or some shit like that. Like, and that's all we can assume is six months later that got announced. Yeah. And that maybe he got a call and maybe like whatever. <laughs> so that part of it, that part of it is funny. But we're, I remember sitting there, we're playing Monopoly on the coffee table. And we're talking wrestling and we're all agreeing about whatever it is we're saying. Out of nowhere, Tony's wife starts cutting a promo on Vito. Fuck you, you piece of shit, and fuck this and fuck that, and just ripping him apart. And we're like, he agreed with you. Whatever it was you said, he's like, yeah, you're right. Fuck you, you son of a... And just, like, brutal. (laughs) And we're just more shocked at this, you know? And Tony, like, immediately puts his head down and just, I don't know, maybe the answer was written on his shoes or something. He's just just sitting there like this. And we're just, like, kind of shocked. And she just stands up and is really like enthusiastically laying in him for 30 seconds, maybe 45 seconds. And she stops like catching her breath. And we look at each other and we look back at her and we just start laughing. Cause like, I don't know where this, like, what? <laughs> so we start laughing and she gets really mad and she goes, you know, Tony's a shooter, right? No, I, I wasn't aware. What are we doing here? Right, Tony? And he just won't look up. And then Vito's like, you know what? I think, <laughs> I think it's a good time for you guys to leave. Yeah. And we showed him the door. Never saw him again. You know, so that was like, I just like. That's bizarre, dude. <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it? It's just to me, but I'm, I'm so glad Vito didn't tell that story. So I got to say yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's a good uh, wild side one. <laughs> I have I have a great one from Mid South, but I don't know how much you want to hear. Do you want like are you gonna go into it or anything? Or no, yeah, go ahead. IWA I loved probably more than anywhere because we had just had so much creative freedom. Ian, 
I disagree with Ian where he says he creates the stars of the future. I disagree. He does something a little bit more difficult, and that is he gives his platform for the stars of the future to create themselves. Because when we were there, a lot of our ideas were our ideas. Mostly our ideas were Vito's ideas. Jimmy Jacobs pitched his own stuff. Chris Hero pitched his own stuff. Claudio did his own stuff. Eddie Kingston pitched his own Like, everybody had a huge say-so in what they were doing. And for me, the competitive level went up big time. But there was no animosity. There was really a, a, a very seldom were there fights in a locker room. Everybody was happy for everybody. Everybody helped everyone. While it was clickish, but it was just super cool. And then when one generation would leave, and then your Chuck Taylors and Ricochets and those guys would come in, it again, it was it was clicky, but everybody got along. You know, I'd sit there, and you got Ricochet on this side and Corporal Robinson on this side. You know, three different generations of it. So it was a fun environment. But there were times where tempers flared. And this is by far my favorite Mid-South story. So, Ian, I apologize if you didn't want this one told. So we're at Midlothian in, in uh, the suburbs of Illinois. And I don't remember which. Oh, it was the, it was the finals of the, the feud with me and Vito versus Ian and a revolving door partners. On this night with Mam and Pondo. We're going to do a no-robe type of death. So we're going to take the bar down barware in his place, tape our fists, dip him in glue, dip him in shards of glass, right? We're like pro wrestling iron, catch as catch can. Like we don't fit into this. But our feud with Ian was he's violence for the sake of violence. Well, we're wrestling for the sake of wrestling. And that was the counter to it. And we knew, knowing full well, at some point the payoffs are going to involve hardcore. Well, when Ian pitches us this match, I'm like, yeah, well, like, fine, that's cool. He goes, what do you want to wear? How do I get dressed up? In I said, fuck that. We're wearing trunks. He goes, what? I said, no, we're not changing. We're going to go out hardcore the hardcore. We're going to go in our trunks. And he goes, well, then fuck it. We're getting white trunks, you know, because <laughs> he knows we're going to bleed. Yeah. So in the locker room, somehow, I don't know where it came about, because this would have been like March, so it wouldn't have been close to Halloween. You know those plastic, like, pitchforks that if you, if you have, like, a, a devil costume or something like that with the three rings on it? Somehow, Spider Nate Webb, had one of those and it was he would like if you if hey zeus you're just sitting over there talking to somebody and you go hey zeus and then you turn and he just rifle it at you it's harmless but it would scare the shit out of you yeah, and the yeah. whole locker room would break out into fake laughter you know it's just you're in there a lot you're in there for a long time just a joke that kind of i don't know two three weeks it had been running around the locker room we're at the intermission right before the main event where we've been waiting all night and we're super nervous you know going into this match, somebody's getting hurt. So you're like, you're just focused and all right, let's just get this shit over with. For whatever reason, Nate decided to yell Ian's name. Ian looks, wham, and he rifles it at Ian. Big mistake. <laughs> and he realized it right away because Ian just started dressing him down and just laying into him, laying into him, everything. And Nate, I'm sorry, you're right, boss. I apologize. But it's not enough. Ian's fired up. And at a certain point, Nate's like, hey, Okay, I you don't have to keep calling. I got it. I'm sorry. So now they get face to face and they're about to go at it, right? Like heated face to face. So me, Vito, and Chris Hero jump on Ian. And Brandon, I think Eddie Kingston and Josh Raymond, who was Josh Abercrombie at the time, they grab Nate and pull him out of the locker room. So if I'm Ian, Sal jumped on this arm, you know, I kind of hold him like this, Vito's on this arm, and then Hero's pretty tall so he's got ian held like this over his 
chest. And he's like, he's gone. He's so angry that, and we're just struggling to hold on and everything. And let me go, let me go. I'm going to kill that. We just hold on. It took like two minutes for him to kind of calm down. We're like, you all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine. And we let go. We're all kind of laughing about it. You know, like <laughs> almost, you know, like, hey, no worries. Cool. We got it. But Ian's a hardcore guy and remembers he has a fork in his pocket. So pulls it out and it's like second wind and he's about to start going again. So boom, we jump back on. So we're just holding on. And he starts, he's screaming, let me go, let me go. And then goes, guys, I love all three of you. But if you don't let me go right now, I'm going to stab you. That's all me and Vito needed to hear. Yeah. So we just kind of let back, but Hero never let go. And Ian just started pop, 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 pop nailing chris like he caught chris maybe 11 or 12 times with a fork in the arm as we're standing there chris looks at us and goes guys i'm like oh shit right sorry me and vito jump back on like we we like watching the stabbing happening for you know <laughs> so then finally that gets chilled and everything and then i went outside looking for nate because i'm pissed dude you just fired him up and now he's gonna go wrestle us with weapons like really you're not gonna get any of this penalty i'm trying to I'm trying to convince to him to do a run-in so he can get some of the ass whooping that I know is coming my way. So that was some of the bonkers oh, shit. <laughs> IWA days, you know. <laughs> what mm. about uh, one, one more story from uh, JCW? You know, told the firecracker one. That was a scary one. That was... Because yeah. you, you, it's weird. It's a weird environment where they're going to like crawl through you know, the crowd and go to the bar, wait 10 minutes to get the guy's attention, spend $14 on a Long Island iced tea, fight their way back, take one sip and then throw it at me. I'm like, really? Okay. Um, okay. Okay. So it was the first time at the gathering and there was like these, it, it's a weird vibe at the gathering because cops aren't allowed. It's like you're on a different planet. Like shit just doesn't really make sense. And you can kind of do whatever. So at, they, they'd be like bonfires get started on in trash cans or something like that. And I just remember like there was a point in time where security was trying to stop some of the people from starting the fires in the trash cans. They're running over and nobody listened to anybody except Violent J and Shaggy who are running around drunk in golf carts wreaking havoc. So they pull over and the security is like flagging them down. Hey, could you get these guys to stop? And then Shaggy like knocks over a park bench, covers it in some kind of liquid, lights the park bench on fire, <laughs> hops in the cart, drives off. Jay's chasing him. They run over a sleeping bag with somebody in it. Oh. Boom, 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 boom. They go over it. The guy gets up like groggy, sees that it's them, starts popping that he got run over. <laughs> and I'm just like, what fucking planet are we on? But on our first trip on the way there, we got arrested Oops. for possession of marijuana because we didn't know there's going to be a checkpoint. And as we're kind of zigzagging through the woods, my buddy Ben's driving and the cops are out and, oh shit, Ben's got a suspended license. So he panicked through in reverse. So that got everybody's attention, right? So either way, whatever, we come over there, they search the car. I just cop to it, say, here's exactly what we got. We're not here to be, you know, we're, we're wrestlers, all this stuff. Yeah. I'm, the guy comes over, arrests me, and he says, look, I know that that's way more weed than one person can in inhale, So, but do you all three want to go to jail? I'm like, no, sir, it's all mine. No worries. 
drive over to the town that we're in. I remember because I had to go back for court. It had 252 people. That's what the population sign showed in Cave and Rock, Illinois, right? I mean, twang and twang. How y'all doing? Twang, <laughs> right? So the, the police office is like a three-bedroom house that's converted. You know, the porch is the waiting room, and then the living room is the dispatch center. I got fingerprinted in the breakfast nook. The bedrooms are the, are the jail cells. So we're all sitting there, whatever, and the cowboy, the guy's talking to me, super, super, super nice cop. Because anytime there's a big arrest, they have to wait for the sheriff. Sheriff comes in, cowboy boots with spurs and everything, and he goes, so you're a wrestler, huh? I said, yeah. Because you know Bill Barons? I said, yeah, I used to work for Bill. He goes, yeah, me too. And he walks off. I'm like, I don't know if this is good or not, but yeah, okay, like whatever. So then he, the cop tells me, he goes, I think the fine was 1500 bucks. Your bail is 10%, $150, right? Vito and Ben are on the porch waiting outside. He goes, you want to have some fun with your brother? I'm like, do I? <laughs> yes. So I'm just watching from the window as the guy's talking to Vito and Vito's eyes are just getting bigger. And he's like, oh my God. And then I saw Vito's knee buckle. <laughs> and I didn't know this, but he's telling the guy that my bail is like 150 grand and he needs to go to that payphone and figure out how to get $15,000 to bail me out today. And he just strung Vito along for a few minutes. And I'm like, oh, I'm just kidding, man. It's 150 bucks, you know? <laughs> So he lets us go. We get in the car. I have a headlight out halfway there. We got pulled over and I got another ticket. <laughs> then we get to the show. Now me and Vito are pissed. It's dark, trying to set up a tent with one headlight. So of course we're going at it. Finally get that done. Car won't start. Yeah. Motherfucker. So it was just like a <laughs> series of catastrophes, you know? So, How, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, please. How was it? Um, what were the, some of the culture shocks being from California and now you're wrestling in the South? What, you know, what has been the vibe of going from one to another, especially uh, uh, crowd wise? The South, it was so much easier crowd wise. It was harder to slow down. It was harder to understand this. Hey, man, it's not the pace that I want to give it. It's the pace that they want to receive it. Right. So because you want to turn it up and go 22 years old or something like that, you know. So that part of it, just learning how to throttle it back was hard. But then when you click it with the audience noise and then it works like that. So that it, that part was simple. Um, Southern hospitality is the real thing. The food in the South was badass. Like we spent an ungodly amount of time at Waffle House. You know, there was a, <laughs> there was a Johnny's New York style pizza right next to the Waffle House that <clears throat> Vito would call once a week and ask, do you have Chicago style? <laughs> So, but it was, it was fun. Atlanta itself was fun. The South of all culture shocks was like, man, there's so many nice people here. It's amazing. You know, uh, tell us uh, one of your favorite road stories. I know we talked a little bit about um, getting arrested and all that stuff, but yeah. Okay. So we're going to, I guess maybe a long, Oh, he told you the Joey Harder one, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of things that I wanted to add, add on. So, um, yeah, poor Joey. That story was about accurate because he stayed with me. Joey was like in my crew of like when I, I was Vito's student, like Joey came in at the same time as, or maybe a little bit before, but Dave Dutra, Ray Kijimura, like those guys were all my guys. I trained those guys, right? So it was, he didn't have that direct connection. Um, but yeah, Joey was like, it was, it was a different, because he was being a, he was going to be a cop. He's a real 
straight straight by the arrow guy. And now we you couldn't have taken him into a, a worse environment. You know, it's like when we walked in the house, that's the part, one of the details you don't, I think you forgot to mention, Necro was already there. And I said, hey, man, hey, Dylan, what are you doing? He goes, piles and piles of cocaine, man. Like, and shot the peace sign, you know, like, you're the Necro butcher shooting me the peace sign with like the grooviest, hippiest voice in the world. I don't know. So <laughs> poor, poor Joey. <laughs> um, favorite road story. I guess we'll go with the theme of being arrested. We were in Ohio. We got arrested in Sandusky, Ohio, which is the same town as Tommy Boy. And we got arrested because one of my students at Elite Pro was driving and doing like 100 miles an hour for some stupid reason. Cop pulls us over, smells everything, what's going on. And we're trying to talk our way out of it. But I remember vividly being handcuffed and in the back seat of the car, looking in the rear view mirror of the squad car, laughing because I have a 420 highway t-shirt on. Like, what am I going to do here? You know? But to me, like the, a lot of the road stories were just, it was Vito and Brandon in the car too. It was busting chops. It was shit bandits. It was, it was like, there was something constantly. It was, and it was really, it was, it was Vito and Brandon. I might've thrown an idea or two, but for the most part, it was those guys. Um, <laughs> there's some, I just don't want to tell without, without having some approval, you know, cause I don't want, I don't want to dime Vito out on, on anything like that, but <laughs> I do want to mention the the shit in the crypto car, if if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, yeah. Couple details off. Vito gives me credit and goes, me and Sal were the guys that that pranked everybody. It was Vito and Nick, right? I was the vehicle that a lot of the ideas went through. <laughs> so that so that it was almost like a mafia boss has the soldier do stuff so it doesn't get back to them. Yeah. So they like it's very nice of Vito to give me credit, but it was a lot of Vito and Nick at the time. And like, hey, Sal, if you don't do this, we're going to prank you, right? So one of them I remember is, because we got approval for this too. I don't remember if you remember that kid, Chris, with like the big Jufro. Yeah, yeah. And remember he dyed that blue horseshoe in it, right? That, I saw the email. That came from Mike. From Japan, wouldn't it be funny if everything but that blue line got shaved? So of course, like... (laughs) You know, and so we invite him over and everything to, to Nick and Vito's house. And the goal is we're just going to get him drunk and we're going to do this. I didn't realize that the rib was a two-parter. So we're sitting there just doing, I must have done seven shots of vodka in 10 minutes. Me and Chris are. I didn't realize Vito and Nick are doing shots of water. So the second prank is to get Sal completely, obliv- I mean, just out of my mind. So where, when we woke up the next day, he had a blue ring of hair and I was just covered in paint. Nick Nick was a painter too. Yeah. Just head to toe. I am just covered and it's like thick and it's just on me and it's just like stuck. What the fuck is going on? Just everywhere. Lifted my clothes up, painted, put my clothes back down. You know. Um, so there that was when we went into the crypto rib. That was in my mind. Cause like Nick had said, seriously, like if you don't do it, today is crypto's day. You gotta do it. And if you don't do it, we're coming at you. And Vito wasn't going to plan, he wasn't planning on helping me. It was just supposed to be me. So I had Nick go create a diversion in the living room and I went and lifted Crypto's key off the car ring. And Vito was gone, went outside with the dog. So I went outside to meet him up and he goes, you got the key? And that's when I realized, oh, because Nick told me to get the key. So they're set, you know what I mean? They're already, they're already a couple steps ahead. So he's already out there waiting, assuming I'm going to get the key somehow. So 
he we went open the door and he like threw one in and threw one in and we walked back he's laughing I'm like that's it really you fucking kidding me <laughs> so we didn't just shove it i had a swiss army knife so we cut underneath his driver's seat and put it in we popped his door panel open and put it in there and then in the front not just the steering column but in the front dash under the two vents that hit the driver right <laughs> it was in the staying that night was myself kryptonite apollo and hook because the four of us were going to work spw the next night so it was a sweltering day you know we get to there the next morning you open it and it's like a punch to the face <laughs> it just was unreal and i'm no selling it because i i don't know what you're talking about i don't smoke anything meanwhile there's tears coming out of my eyes i'm laughing so hard and everything and i gotta sit in this fucking thing for three hours now <laughs> so so we we go right to the first stop he hits the brake and the shit from under the seat rolls out <laughs> And he grabs it and, ah, oh, you motherfucker. And he throws it out and he thinks he resolves it. The whole time it's reeking. And that's where I'm like playing it up. Like, dude, because that part of the veto wasn't in the car. That's where I'm just like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't smell anything. He thought the one bag was it. Meanwhile, we had bombed the shit out of it and in the trunk and all this stuff. And I don't remember for sure if he got rid of the car. I'm pretty sure he did. <laughs> I can't remember for, you'd have to ask him that one. I just wanted to clear it up because like Vito gave me so much credit going like me and Sal Prank to everybody. Yes, but the 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 mafia dons were by far it was Vito and Nick. <laughs> they were the they were the brains behind the operation. I was just a foot soldier, you know, getting some of their shit done for them. And so, for all the viewers, you can hear those stories in Vito Tomaselli's interview. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's insane. I was like, especially when he's talking about the shit band and stuff. I'm like. How is he okay telling everybody this right now? Dude, you don't even know. Like, like Brandon, to me, is the shit bandit. Brandon, <laughs> the two most impressive things I've ever seen him do. He shit on a, through a mail slot. Like, I don't know how you, you know, and that, it was low. So you got to get down there. Yeah. And then he shit on a railing that was higher than his waist. He shit up, Jesus, up. He defied physics and shit up. And those are the two I'm cool telling you. There's other ones that I think you should just hear from Vito because he's a better storyteller. But it's like, dude, there were times where, <laughs> put it like this, if we went to a town that we weren't in that often, if we we tried to hook up for about five minutes and then went right to vandalism. Like we were just, we, we just were terrors. I admit it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. What about, uh, tell us a favorite shady promoter or shady show um, story. We never got mistreated or stiffed or anything like that. And I, I mean, I think anybody that's known me over the years, I don't profess to be a badass at all or anything like that. I think I can hold my own. If I lose my temper, I think I'm Superman. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean I am. But like Vito and Brandon, are, in particular Brandon, Brandon's a state champion and, and legitimate shooter. But I think it, it was understood you have a problem with any one of us, you have a problem with all three of us. So we never really got ribbed or treated like shit or I never got stiffed by anybody. Um, but I will say, because I did think about this, there is, we worked in New York, Vito and I, I cannot remember the promoter's name. It's a company called WSU. And then it later on became just an all-female show, but I can't remember what the acronym stood for. But we went into work. It was a double shot weekend. We we're going to work somewhere else in, in, uh, somewhere else in New York on Friday night. I think we were in Brooklyn Friday night and then in New Jersey Saturday night. And we worked the SATs and they were all right. 
years before when they came for your show in San Francisco, they stayed at Vito's place. Vito took them around, showed them out town, like made it made a nice trip of it. So when we were coming out there, they contacted Vito and said, "Hey, we want to return the favor." Picked us up from the airport, took us around the show, you know, and just we had a blast because we were, we were all friends. Then we put them over on the Saturday night show, and they said, "Hey guys, we're gonna go put our gear bags in the car. We'll be right back." Because the whole the plan was for everybody to go into the bar, and they just bailed. They just they never showed up. So I got hot and went to the promoter and just said, "Hey man, like." You were supposed to hook up a ride. We're not paying for a cab to JFK, so you need to get a cab, and you need to take care of it. And I said, okay. And we're outside just kind of waiting to see what's going on and everything. And one of like the, the lower guys on the card comes up, and he says, hey, guys, you know, promoter says that you guys need a ride. I'm going to be your ride tonight. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. Like, really appreciate it. You're going to go to the bar with us and everything, too? Is that okay? Like, we'll, we'll cover everything for you at the bar. You know, just appreciate the help. Yeah, yeah, no problem and everything. So we, we sit in the car. Vito shotgun, I'm in the back. And I said, wait a second, how much gas money did he give you? And he said he didn't. Okay. And we got back out and we went pounded on the door, open up, he went and opened the door. Vito's like, if you don't, I'm kicking this motherfucker open. Open the door. Said we you're not gonna give the guy gas money. Well, he's like, oh, fuck you, man. Come on, come on, come on. And I see him counting the cash, right? So we just put our hands out and he 20. Dude, come on, don't make us lose our temper. And he just keeps going until he got to 100. And then we walk out and we're laughing, telling Beto, he's like, hey, man, looks like we're not getting booked here again. You know, <laughs> but that's fucked up. You're going to ask this guy to do that. You got at least, you know, he had a big house that night. So, yeah, maybe that, you know, I, I think we were pretty fortunate. Um, it never, it, whether they were shaded to others, I couldn't tell you. They, they weren't really, really to us, you know. So, for the most part, it was all good. So, what about a crazy fan interaction? What's the craziest fan interaction you've witnessed or, or experienced? I think it was at a um, definitely at an ICW, JCW show. Crowd surfing, and it might have even been between the matches before the concert or something like that. And they threw the guy, and his leg like just hit the guardrail, and I, I mean, like Psycho said, just oh. snapped right in half, and it was just so god awful, you know. But I think a lot of fans, like we had fans, even when we were heels in IWA, we had fans that followed us to different shows. They respected our work. You know, I think at the end of the day, they respected our work. Um, same with the boys. Like we never had, we might've been heat with a couple guys here or there, but for the most part, everybody respected our work. You know, if they, they might've hated us while we're putting the mask together the first time. Cause I just kind of cut them out and let me and Vito figure it out. But once we came back to the locker room, it was different. And I think the fans always treat us that way. And in, in JCW and with, with ICP, dude, we would get bombed with all the fans. They would bring blunts for us. And we, you know, they boo us while we're out there, but then cheer us, you know, with their buddies with us and hanging with us afterwards. Because I think they just like work. So for us, I never, I never experienced that. So that maybe I never really got heat, I guess. <laughs> I did get hit in the back with a turkey bone. At one of the one of the gatherings, and it sliced my back open and got infected. Oh shit! Like a big fucking turkey bone. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was just it's a weird <laughs> it's a weird place. I told you, man, rules didn't apply there. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, said, hey, Brandon J just ran me over. All right. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, like I can remember the only time the sea of drinks stopped is because we were working Hall and Nash. And Nash grabs the mic and goes, I didn't come out here to get hit with shit. Save it for the next match. And everybody's like, <laughs> Damn. 
Damn. And they just waited. And the second the match was over and they got out, me and Vitor Sally just pop, 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 pop. <laughs> just all over us, you know, great times. So. <laughs> um, what about any embarrassing moments in the ring? I don't think I ever had any of those. Like, I, the, the only thing that comes to mind is my first match with Modest. It was in Newark mm-hmm. at the place that Kirk White always ran. No, I forget really. the name of the building. The Pavilion, yeah. And um, it's my first time wearing trunks. It's first time, first time shaving my legs. Super, super uncomfortable. Not liking this. Vito knows that, so he's fucking with me and pinching my ass and smacking my legs and everything the whole time. <laughs> complete dick about it. <laughs> but then there's a point where Mike picked me up. He's gonna like choke me on the ropes and he grabbed my trunks and yanked it up and the crowd started chanting tidy whities because I had like I didn't know I didn't clue into me to wear something other than white underwear underneath trunks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I get I guess that, but like I, I said, fortunate enough when nothing really ever happened like that, you know, I didn't make a mistake bad enough or anything like that. Never got hurt bad enough, I guess. Yeah. So well, better yeah. than uh, uh, it's better than having your your boss pop out during a match like Chupi said he it happened to him at SPW when he was wearing. What happened? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was always uh that was a fear with trunks. So I I went to I changed to the same color of gear that I was gonna wear, and then I would wear a size too small, and just make sure that I cinched them in tight, you know. I, I, I couldn't get to the, the jock strap and all that stuff. It just was so uncomfortable to me. I'm already naked enough out here, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> so just uh, winding down here, uh, yeah. anything you found disappointing about the business and like, what were your goals when you signed up for, for, to train versus what are your goals like towards, you know, a couple years ago? Okay. Um, so when I first signed up to train, I knew everywhere I was going to hit was going to be a short time. My focus was WWE or bust. If I don't get there, I don't get there. Obviously, along the way, you go, I really want to work PWG. I really want to go to Japan. I really want to do this. And so you might have some specific, but nowhere else did I ever have a desire to be other than in WWE. So um, the disappointment, obviously, because you know, I'm 5'7". I think at my heaviest, I was 190. So just knowing that that was an uphill battle, um, but over the years, like, I, I think the main disappointments that I had was like, when I went to iron, it was ugly's idea. But then after I did it, everybody turned on me and I was not loyal and I'm arrogant and I'm this piece of shit. The only guy that did it was CJ because he's above the fray. Like he just, he, he is cool hand Luke, you know, he's just too cool for that stupid shit. He just doesn't. And then when I went to iron, it was the same thing. Come here, train with us. Like this, go find opportunity. I used the opportunity you hooked me up with, and I am at it. So the 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 drama queen aspect of it was really frustrating. And Vito and I decided I, it was in Atlanta, and it was in an argument with I think it was with Todd Sexton and and Sal Renaro, because they just like to run the shows, they like to run the matches. And Dale said, "I'm the general." Like that was always Sal's line that he gets to run the match, and we would just be like, "Okay," and then the bell would ring, and just do it. We just eat you up. Like, cause now that you've made it like that, I'm not going to be okay with that. So it was really at that point that we decided, okay, fuck it. If I'm going to have a reputation of being an asshole, I might as well have the fun of being that asshole and just kind of take in charge of our, of our careers. But it was still, it was always with the 
viewpoint of being professionals, but like we want to get to New York, New York, New York. That was kind of all that it was. After I, I think I was maybe 26 or 25, the first time I pinched my sciatic nerve, it was like 20, 25 and a half or so. The second time I did it during the Harley race tryout, the third time that where it fractured my, my low back and I was like, I was to this day, never the same. I never moved the same. I, I couldn't run the same. I just wasn't the same anymore. No matter what I did, like I could put all the weight in the world I wanted on my left leg, but I couldn't lift it. I, and so, you know, I'm 26, 27 by the time I like, I can't really walk. Mm-hmm. Like, whew, this is not cool anymore. Mm-hmm. But wrestling is my identity. I wasn't Sal. I was Sal the wrestler. So letting go of that was a, was a bitter pill. It was a really, really hard transition, which took me like six, seven more years. I kept working and then I just kept booking because um, I just, I couldn't let it go. So I, I would say probably in like, my heart was out of it probably by 2008 or so, because that's when I got hurt. And then Vito and I decided to, I need time off. Let's go singles. It was Vito's idea because I was going to keep working through it, to be honest with you. Vito flat out said, I can't watch you do this anymore and you need to take some time off. So then we're going to go singles for a little bit. And then um, JCW calls and we're going to get the tag title shot but I can't work that many days. So take Brandon. Now that starts working, right? <sighs> that gave me like some breathing room. So I'm not, he's not dependent upon me and I don't need to, not that he needed me, but I felt like I, I don't want to let you down. Right. So then I could kind of focus a little bit. It was exciting for a little bit, learning single wrestling and whatnot, but just the pain every day, every step, every moment was just like, man, I just don't like this. I don't like this life. I don't like, you know, driving in the car going that far i don't like doing any of that shit so it just got painful and that that kind of i didn't like it anymore um but it was always it was always wwe it was always wwe um and then so as far as as of two years ago um i'm a stepdad my my stepson's 17 you know i've been his stepdad since he was six so once i moved back to california wrestling took a back seat once he got into my life nothing else mattered you know so it's like regular job do your regular thing try to get home and just kind of be with him and hang with him we got me and his mom got together when he was six we broke up when he was eight you know but i never broke up with him so it was like my focus completely went from tunnel vision selfish only think of yourself only think of your career to all right well my i gave my whole 20s to that let's give my 30s to something else and we'll see what happens there you know what does he think of your wrestling career he loved it. He he came to a lot of the shows, you know, and he loved it. I remember turning heel one time and the first person I looked at in the crowd was him. And he just looked at me and he shook his head, you know, <laughs> he was like seven or something like that. Mm-hmm. He had a great time. He, he, I pretty quickly, I would just, you know, ask him questions on the way home. What'd you think? What'd you about this? And then by eight or nine, he might be throwing ideas to me to help with the booking or something like that. So he took to it. But once he hit 13 and, and he, realized that there were girls in the world and that they're not icky mm-hmm. nothing stood a chance at that point you know so <laughs> exactly and uh, tell yeah. us uh what, what's in the future for sal where are you gonna you know always be involved in some you know even if it's maybe not in ring but do you have any interest out outside of the ring to be um, involved in, in wrestling not I, I don't have to do it you know if there was a situation like if Vito said hey i'm doing this I need your help. Done. 
I'm in, you know. Do I have a desire to go book somewhere or do something? I definitely don't want to wrestle. Like definitely don't desire to do that. But to run a company or book something, not really. It it was it was a fun chapter of my life, but I'm just trying to find something like while I was working in IWA and living in Chicago and everything, I also worked at a federal computer science and particle physics research facility as a data center operations specialist. So I'm as much as I love wrestling, I'm a science and IT nerd more than anything, right? So these days, like I work for the state, I work in IT, I'm hopefully trying to continue that and learn more and more as far as that goes. But as, as, to me, it would, it would almost be like if I don't just enjoy wrestling as a fan, that, I, that I'm kind of going back. Like I can't be involved just for fun. Mm-hmm. It isn't. I have to, the only way it's fun for me is if, I, if it consumes me. And if I have a clear trajectory of where I'm trying to go, right? But just to do it on Saturday to have a good time and hang with the boys, I'll go watch the show, but I don't have a desire to be involved at that point. You know what I mean? It's, it's almost like it, it, it's still in my mind. It's, I don't know how to do less than 150 miles an hour and I don't have a desire to do 150 miles an hour. So I'll just do zero. I'll just watch it. I'll just enjoy it, you know, yeah. go on from there. So right on, man. Well, thanks a lot, Sal, for doing the interview and, uh, You've always been one of the good ones. I've always enjoyed watching you uh, work and, you know, you're always cool uh, backstage. So yeah, thanks again. Um, I was actually watching, a, I was bit, I've been going through all these tapes during quarantine. Yeah. I found a tape of me in a car drunk as hell, trying to prank call Apollo Khan and tell him I was from AAA, Lucha Libre, something like that. <laughs> but I'm like faded. Obviously he knows it's me. And then I'm like, oh dude, I just tried to get Sal earlier too. So I, I guess I called you apparently, but <laughs> hey man like to me it's like those times as when brandon and i and Vito and i talk it's very seldom the matches it's always the road trip remember the road trip and it's like you remember the, the shit that takes place in the car is way more interesting and way more fun than the shit that took place in the show yeah. you know we just we're just belligerent and stupid at that point you know but yeah but i appreciate it man i appreciate the opportunity i appreciate the fact that you are trying to keep something West Coast wrestling, especially NorCal, has never been what it is in places like SoCal or the Midwest or the East Coast. So it's nice to see somebody that that really cares about the scene and and kind of dives deep, getting information from the Flacos and from the Brian Wards and that that kind of stuff. You know, if you haven't yet, I really recommend CJ Kurz. That dude's been he. I don't think he gets enough credit for all the shit he's been involved in, but. Our Please, list, thank you, man. Our list is really long, so it's gonna take us a while. To I bet. No, no, no. I bet, but it's like like Vito has a podcast for twelve years. All right, I've listened to three episodes. Yeah. Not because I don't love him, but I just it's not entertaining. I know him. I did plenty of car trips. I know those jokes. I know those stories. Yeah. But what watching your podcast with him last night, I was so entertained, and I just enjoyed it so much. So. I'm going to backtrack and watch Apollo's and all those other guys too. So yeah, I'm going to get Joey Harden too. So I'll get his. Oh, I can't wait. I can't. I'm really curious if I really, if I hope we didn't destroy it for him. I really hope, Yeah. but I'm curious if we did. So I still, I still talk to him. Like we still talk about, you know, stuff from, from iron. So he's, he's cool with it, but he's a guy that really is too good for the business. He really is. Yeah. He was good. He was good for as green as he was too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Well, thanks for watching Indie Handshake. I've been Jesus Cruz with Sal, a.k.a. Sal Tomaselli. We'll give the old modest uh, <laughs> thumbs up. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.